All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3, and if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, we're going to pick up in verse 7. Now remember this morning we saw where Paul um, was put in the ministry, made fit for the ministry, made competent for the ministry um, by the Spirit of God. Um, And you remember we saw at the end of this morning's message that there was a restriction to that ministry. And what was the restriction? That he wasn't going to preach the letter that killed, but yet the reality of his ministry was this, the spirit that gives life. Now, with that being said, look at verse number 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorious, how glorious? Well, I'm glad you asked so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? Let me translate that. Be rather more glorious. For if the ministry of the condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory. Now you say, wait a minute. If it was glorious, how did it have not any glory? Well, notice what it says. In respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. In other words, there was a glory greater. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and your truth. And Father, I just pray you would so work this in us tonight. And Lord, let us capture the awe of our salvation through this passage tonight. And I'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look tonight at a glorious and mighty truth. The first thing we're going to look at in verse 7 is what I call a faded glory. A faded glory. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, he begins here by giving the, uh, the, the reason for the law. It's what I call a designed revelation. In other words, God by design revealed the law unto Moses, that Moses would reveal it unto the children of Israel. And by that law, the children of Israel would understand, again, as we talked about this morning, the holiness of God, the standard of God. Now remember something about this. When God gave this law, he took it serious. And and so serious that, remember, if they picked up sticks on the Sabbath, remember one time they picked up on sticks on the Sabbath, and and Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? What did the Lord say? Stone them. You better be glad you live under the age of grace. Because if we didn't live under the age of grace, none of us would be here tonight. So in other words... This was a law that's taught the standard or the holiness of God. And that's the reason you and I need to understand where it says we all are sinners and come short 
of the glory of God. Why? Because the glory of God is the holiness of God. It's the manifestation of who God is. And it's seen in one place, and that is the law. And so all of us fall short. The Bible says that if we offend the law in one aspect, we offend the whole law. Now, if you want to know the truth of the matter, we've offended it all. But even if somebody is pious and think, well, I've, I've only made one mistake in my life. Well, number one, you're lying. Number two, I want to talk to your spouse. I, I was sitting down with a man trying to witness to him one time, and he looked at me and he said, listen, preacher, I don't need salvation. I don't sin. True story. I looked at his wife. I said, ma'am, is that true? She just went. I mean, listen, any man that says he has no sin is a liar, the Bible says. And so we're all condemned under the law. Now, this, this, this is the purpose of the law. And, and so the law, the ministry of the law is not to minister life. The ministry of the law, look at verse 7, is to minister death. In other words, the law is what brings the condemnation. Now, you say, well, why would God do that? Because, listen, God can't help you if you don't see yourself. And, and God's got to show you yourself before you can ever see you have a need. And if you don't see you have a need, why in the world would you need any help? And so the salvation that God so gloriously provided by first revealing himself through the law, and as he revealed himself through the law, then we see ourselves in light of who he is, and all of a sudden, guess what? We become desperate people. And in helpless and hopelessness, we cry out to God for salvation. And so this is the ministry of the law. But the manifestation of the law is this, that as God gave this law, he manifested himself in a glorious and an absolute unbelievable way. Now, we're going to get into this in just a minute in depth, but I want you to understand that when God gave the law, how he gave it represented how holy he really was. Because the way he gave the law was not in a dream and not whispering into, into Moses' ear. How he gave the law was a display of his glory that so shook a mountain and so caused Moses to fear and tremble and so caused the people to be in awe of what they saw that no one in Israel that was at the foot of that mountain could have ever claimed that God didn't manifest himself. And so the law manifests the holiness of God. Now, here's what is amazing to me. Because what, when God designed this law to reveal his holiness, that we could see our sinfulness, and God designed this law in such a way that it would manifest his holy presence and his glory, then something unique happened when Moses went up that mountain. And it's what I call a derived a derived revelation. When we see a full moon, where does the light of that moon come from? It's derived from another light. It's derived from the sun. So what happened when Moses went, now remember, Moses made seven trips up that Mount Sinai. Now we think, well, he just went up one time, God gave him the law, he came back. No, he actually went up seven times. And each time, God would give him pieces. 
And, and, and listen, he would give him the, the law of the tabernacle. He would give him the law of, of, of the offerings. And then, and then I think it was the third and fourth trip is when he really received the Ten Commandments. And while all this was going on, the people were down at the foot of the mountain. And all they could see was the Shekinah glory of God that would rest upon that mountain. Now, I want you to look at this, this truth about this derived revelation. I want you to look at three things. Number one, the transferring effect of glory. When Moses went up that mountain, he came down totally different. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, he just walked into the glorious presence of a holy God. I mean, God himself descended upon that mountain. And when God himself descended upon that mountain, now Moses is caught in the very essence of the presence of God. So much so that the glory that he was in the midst of began to transfer itself unto Moses. You say, how do you know this? Well, look what it says in the text. It says in the text that that this glory was of such that so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for what? The glory of his countenance. And so something radically happened to Moses when he got in the presence of a holy God and God began to give him the Ten Commandments and all of a sudden the glory that Moses was now experiencing began to transform to his own countenance. And now Moses' face began to shine in the glimpse of the glory. Now listen, he just got a glimpse of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we're totally absent from sin, absent from the flesh, have nothing to stand between you and the Lord and we're always in his presence forever and ever and ever with nothing to break fellowship with him. But Moses just had a glimpse. And just that glimpse of the holiness and glory of God literally transferred to himself to the point he had to veil his face because the people could not even look upon him. Now, th this is important for us to understand. Uh, let, me, let me just, if, if you want to read this, it's found in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 33. And I'm not going to read it. You can read it when you get home. But here's the, here's the reality of it. The people could not look upon Moses because of this glory. Now listen, what does the Bible say about God? Nobody can look upon God and what? Live. And Moses just has a, a remnant of that glory. And the people could not even look upon Moses at, with that remnant of glory. Moses, when he began to tell the people about the law that he just received, had to put a veil over his face until he quit speaking. And you say, well, preacher, what in the world's that got anything to do with me? Because what if I told you that when God saved you, he gave you that glory? You say, where's that at in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. John 17, look at it with me. John chapter 17, verse number 20. The Lord Jesus in this, in this high priestly prayers, praying for the church, <coughs> for you and I that are saved. And here's what he prays. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, being the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. 
What kind of oneness? As thou, Father, art in me and I in them. In other words, here's what he prayed for you, and here's what become reality when God saved you. You and I could enter into a relationship with him in the same regards, in the exact same way as the Lord Jesus had with the Father. Does that not blow your mind? How's that relationship become reality? Well, notice what he says. He says that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. In other words, he says that there will be such a relationship between me and them as it was with me and you, Father, that the world would see something transferably different about them. Let me put it to you another way. That the world would see the evidence of the glory and holiness of God. Now, let's, let's read on what, what the Lord prayed. He says in verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, there's the glory, the person, and thou in me, that thou mayest be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Let me ask you a question today. When Moses came down and his face glowed with that glory of God, and he had to put a fatal veil upon it, do you think anybody had to ask Moses, hey, Moses, did you meet with God? Why in the world does somebody that's truly been saved, does the world have to wonder, hey, I wonder if they've encountered the presence of God? There's something about you, if you're saved today, that's transparently different about you. You say, what is it? I want to tell you what it is. The presence of the holiness of God in his glory was given unto you. You don't have to veil your face. But I promise you this. You'll speak of his presence. And I don't mean that in your words in your life. By the way, if the law and the glory of the law pictured the presence of God in his holiness, here's the amazing thing. What took place when Moses was up there getting that truth about the Ten Commandments? Well, down at the foot is when they started building a golden calf. So here's God met with, here's Moses met with a holy God. He now has his holy law that represents the holiness of a holy God. He comes down to tell the people about it, and now his face begins to glow of the glory and the holiness of God. And they couldn't look upon him. Can I tell you why? Because of sin. The only way you and I can look upon face to face with our Lord of glory one day is God will do away with all the sin. But here's what I want you to get. When God saved you and saved me, the glimpse of the glory of God and his holiness caused Moses' face to shine. But when God saved you and I, you and I didn't get a glimpse of his presence. 
you got the fullness of his presence. And so you tell me God could save you and you not be absolutely, totally different and changed. That the world would know. I want to tell you something, folks. I'm a firm believer of what I'm about to say. A true child of God does not have to advertise Jesus because a true child of God will ooze Jesus. The world won't have to question it. Because his glory, his person, was given unto you. Now, let me show you this. This is the transferring effect of glory. Notice the telling effect of glory. That Moses, as he began to shine in his face, he pictured the awe of the glory of God. Now, remember what God told Israel before Moses went up that mount. He told Israel, don't you dare come near that mount. Now, I want you to remember this. Here's what God told Israel. He said, don't you step one foot, even on the base of this mountain, Matter of fact, he went a step further. He said, and even if your cattle touch the base of this mountain, you're to stone them and put a dart through them and kill them. You say, why would God say that? Because his holy presence was of such that nobody could come within his presence but Moses at that moment. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has God changed? Is God still as holy as he is in the Old Testament as he is now? Is his glory still as magnificent now as it was in the Old Testament? But yet you and I have become the dwelling place of the very God that none of Israel could even come. It wasn't a matter of them going up to the top and getting in the presence. They couldn't even come to the foot. Listen to Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews just describes this for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 21. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor the blackness or darkness or tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard entreated that the word should be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as beasts touched the mountain, it was to be stoned and thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly feared and quaked. Let me ask you a question today in America. Where's the fear of a holy God? But this same God took his residence inside of you. And he shared his glory through his holiness and his righteousness. I don't know about you, but that just blows my ever-loving mind. Well, I want you to look thirdly at the temporary effect of glory. Watch what it says in verse 7. For the glory of his countenance, bottom verse 7, which glory was to be done away. The word done away means to fade away. Go down to verse 11. For if that which is done away, that glory, was glorious, much more of that that remains is even more glorious. That's how it reads. 
So what was it about this glory that Moses now had been transferred to him that was now upon his face? Well, here's the reality. It was a temporary glory. It was never meant to be permanent. So when Moses came off that mountain, from the presence and the holiness and the glory of God, his face shone as bright. But here's what happened. As days went by, it began to fade. But the glory God gave you will never, ever quit shining. It's a glory that does not fade away. Because the only way it could fade away, if the presence of God is what caused the glory to show up on Moses' face, then the presence of God now lives in you. So let me ask you a question. What's the only way that glory could quit shining? Somehow God would have to get out of you. Because he is that glory. Oh, listen, folks. If we had any clue what it means to be the tabernacle of the Holy God, We would walk every day in absolute awe. The Bible says we're to be sober-minded. The Bible says we're to be diligent. The Bible says we're to be watchful. The Bible says we're to be careful. Let me tell you why people are not sober-minded, diligent, watchful, and careful today. Because they have lost the awe that they have been indwelt by a holy righteous and glorious God when you forget that then here's what happens your focus becomes not what he wants but what I want and you're you begin to see this take place in people's life well this is, the, this is what I call the faded glory. But I want you to look secondly at the a favored glory. Look at verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? What makes... The ministration of the Spirit more glorious than that of the law. Ministration of death. Here it is. Y'all ready? Because the holiness that Moses got a glimpse of now becomes a holiness that you and I begin to experience. You see, Moses could only see the glory of God. You and I can experience the glory of God. When God took his residence inside of you, here's what happened. All the righteousness of Christ, all the righteousness of the Father, all the righteousness of heaven, everything that makes God glorious was implanted in you. Now, does that not blow your minds? So what made the law glorious? 
the holiness of God. What makes it more glorious for you and I? An indwelt holiness of God. Let me put it to you another way. You became the holy of holies of a holy God, but you also came, became Mount Sinai of a holy God. Because you became the place where God decided to reside. And that is more glorious than the law. See, the law's purpose was to bring us to the cross, but the law could never bring righteousness to us. The law could only expose us to righteousness, but the law could not do anything to give us righteousness. But so what became more glorious is this, that you and I, now having ourselves in the face of the law, seeing our sinfulness, seeing our desperate need, and at that moment of faith and repentance, at that moment the God of glory came down now in the form of the Holy Spirit. And now in the form of the Holy Spirit, he implanted within you and within me not a glimpse of his glory, not a glimpse of his holiness, but the fullness of his presence and the fullness of his glory and the fullness of his holiness. Hey, I want to tell you something. When God saved you, whether you realize it or not you became a holy vessel unto himself to be a holy vessel before others more glorious if you could ask Moses today Moses which would be more glorious for you to have what happened to you on Mount Sinai or to have the glory and presence of God reside in you day by day, moment by moment. I guarantee you Moses say, hey, I'll take the second one. Because what did Moses keep praying? I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. I want to, y'all remember that? And God just gave him a glimpse. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine when Moses, I mean, whenever this happened and Moses finally realized that all this was going to be the new covenant promise of God, when God would take his residence inside of man, can you imagine what Moses thought? Oh, God, oh, God, can you imagine what Moses would have said when he realized that the glory that he just got a glimpse of, that he cried and cried and cried for God to do, became reality in a person moment by moment, day by day, second by second. Holiness was experienced. But listen, the holiness of the law is also to be expressed. When Moses came down, he did two things. He told the people what God said. And he showed forth that he'd been in the presence of holiness. I've always said this to y'all, and I, I believe it with all my heart. If you've met with the Lord, you can never, ever be the same. If I've really met with the Lord in my quiet time, if I've really met with the Lord in prayer, if I've really met with the Lord in salvation, you're going to be changed. You're going to be different. Why? Because here's what the law said. The law said do. Here's what Christ said. Done. Done. 
The law said do, Christ said done. You and I live in the reality of a finished work. Not of a work that has not been accomplished. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Well, look at verse 10 and verse 12. I want you to see lastly a full glory. Verse 10 says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory. In this respect, by reason of the glory that excels. How many of you agree if you're in the darkness? Well, I've got an illustration I can give you. If we had all the lights off and I turned my little flashlight on, how many agree this flashlight would exhume its light piercing through the darkness? And so I could carry this light around with me. I could brag about my flashlight. I can see, you can't see. Because <laughs> y'all ain't got one. Y'all say amen. I, I mean, and, and listen, I, I can boast about it. I've got, I've got something that's glorious. I've got something that helps me. I've got something that guides me. I've got something that directs me. But if you turn the lights on, let me tell you how useful this flashlight is. You see, Israel boasted of the law. But when Christ came, he excelled above the law. And he took what the law was intended to do in showing man the holiness of God. And he exceeded, greatly exceeded that by now taking the holiness of God and indwelling man. Can I tell you what happened when God came alive in you? The light came on. And Christ became more glorious than the law. Hey, the law was glorious. But Christ is more glorious. Y'all got it? Say amen. I mean, oh my, I mean, get a hold of this stuff. Man, it's awesome. All right, so this speaks of the permanence of glory. Now listen, I want to say this again. God didn't do away with the law. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. God said, listen, I am that law. I am that law lived out. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till it all be fulfilled. So in other words, the only way Christ could have been the sacrifice for our sin to appease the holy God was Christ had to fulfill every jot and every tittle of the holiness of God that was pictured in the law. If Christ did not in one aspect of the law, did not fulfill the the letter and the principle of the holiness of God in the law, he could have not been our sacrifice. And Christ said, until it be fulfilled, wheresoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, now watch this, except 
your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Now you say, preacher, wait a minute. If I can't enter in the kingdom of God unless my righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, preacher, I'm in trouble. You're right. You are in trouble. And God knew you couldn't do it. God knew I couldn't do it. Listen. You say, well, I'm, I do pretty good, I think. Oh, let me, let me put you to the test. Well, when they fast, if they swallow their own spittle, they consider it sin. How you doing? All right, I'm going to get personal. All right, so everybody put your hand over your pocketbook. Y'all say amen. They didn't tie 10%. They tie 33.5%. They didn't pray once a day. They prayed three times a day. They didn't read the law once a day. They read it three times a day. They didn't just study the law. They had to memorize every single law of God in one year period of time. And they had to quote every law of God at least once every year. And, but some laws, like Deuteronomy 6, they had to quote every single day of their life. How are you doing? You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. What do you mean, how am I doing? Well, Jesus said, I didn't say, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So how are we doing? So what makes this so much glorious than the glory of the law? Because here's what God did. God said, listen, this is the requirement. Your righteousness has to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. But I know you can't do that. I've never expected you to do that. So here's what I'm asking. If I show you your sinfulness and you come to me by faith and repentance, he said, I'll put the law in your heart. And when I put the law in your heart, I'll give you my spirit. And when I give you my spirit, I'll give you the enabling power. And from you will be my life and my life always exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. More glorious. Amen? Oh, my folks. Listen, this is, this is truth that will set you free. That's the permanence of glory, the perfection of glory. I'm, I'm going to go through these real quickly. Paul pointed out the deficiencies of law all through the book of Galatians. If you want to write these down, I'm going to try to say them in a way which you can write them down. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he said the law could not justify a lost sinner. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he said the sinner could not become righteous by the law. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, he said the law could not give the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, he said the law could not give us an inheritance. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, he said the law could not give life. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 18 through 10, he said the law could not give you freedom. So what are you saying? I'm saying the law had deficiencies about it. The law couldn't do for you what grace could do for you. The law couldn't do for you what the Spirit of God could do for you. And so when the Spirit of God became more glorious, it did for you what the law could never ever do for you. More glorious. Well, Notice lastly the peace of glory. Seeing then we have such hope. Have you caught a glimpse of the hope you've got in Christ? I mean, it's almost like Paul has a spell. And then he steps back and says, seeing that I have this kind of hope. 
that I have something more glorious than the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai that caused Moses' face to glow that he had to veil himself. To see that I have something more glorious than that. Paul says, now that you have this hope. He says, we use great plainness of speech. This word great plainness means boldly, freely. Can be rendered frankly. And here's what Paul's saying. If the ministration of the Spirit is more glorious than the ministration of death, and this is our hope, he said, why in the world would we not expound upon it continuously, bluntly, boldly, frankly, that there's something more glorious than what Moses experienced at Mount Sinai. See, we study the story of Mount Sinai, and it's like a euphoria. And it was glorious. Y'all say amen. But what happened to you when God saved you was more glorious than what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. But see, we don't see it that way. You know why? Well, my house didn't shake. My church didn't shake. You may not even have got the warm fuzzies. Y'all say amen. So what made it more glory? Because holiness before was a standard. Holiness now became a life. And now you begin to get uncomfortable with anything that is not in conjunction with the holiness of God. Last statement and I'm done. If you're comfortable with the things of this world and you can stay comfortable with the things of this world, then I'm going to challenge you to say you've probably never experienced the presence of God in holiness and righteousness and in glory because if it made Moses shine by just getting a glimpse what in the world do you think it done to you by getting the fullness of it goodness father I stand amazed I stand in awe of your word, your truth, and the glory of your salvation.
Father, I thank you that what you gave when you saved never goes away, never fades, never loses its brightness. For it's your holiness, it's your righteousness, it's your glory. So, Father, I come to you today. And Lord, I just ask, Father, for us in here today that we know, we know that day that we encountered your presence. The Father, your presence was made so real to us by the conviction of your Holy Spirit that when we said yes to you in faith and repentance, your presence became real to us in an intimate, in a fellowship way. But Father, may we've, maybe we've just never saw or maybe we've lost the awe to know that what Moses experienced in measure, we've experienced in fullness. And Father, if your presence was so holy that even a cow could not even touch the foot of the mountain and live, and that presence lives within us, Father, we know that that's only possible because it is the righteousness of your Son that makes that reality. But how it ought to be, that that causes us to be sober-minded, walk circumspectly, walk in confidence and trust in you. But Father, maybe there's someone here tonight that they just have to be honest. And they'd have to say, I've never experienced an encounter with the living God in a personal way whereby when the world sees me, they know that I'm yours. If that's the case, I pray you'd make yourself known to them tonight. For your honor, your glory, and your namesake. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name.